Well, good morning, Hope. It's good to see you all. Thank you for being here today. What did you come in here today with? What is it that you're carrying? What are the, what are the burdens that you just heard Alyssa pray about if you're here at our West Des Moines service? What, what are the burdens you're carrying if you're at one of our other campuses or local sites? So, and I want to say a special hello to our local site in Newton. They're just getting started up. I think this is week one or two for them. So hello to you. I'm really glad you're all here. What, what, are you, what are you carrying into the place wherever you are if you're, if you're worshiping with us live and online right now? What, what are the habits that are tripping you up these days? I want to talk to you about that, and I want to talk to you about how they connect to the second commandment, which might surprise you at the outset, because it might seem like there's no connection at all. And the other, the other mistake we make with the second commandment is, is we kind of see it as the not that important. It's, it's certainly not as important as the first one, and not as important as the next ones. I mean, murder, killing, adultery, lying, stealing. That seems pretty important, right? And it is. They're all really important. But God put this commandment on his top ten list for a reason. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Martin Luther writes in his small catechism on how to do life. And that's the series we're in right now. We started with commandment one last week. So now we're on number two. The Ten Commandments in Nine Weeks is what we're calling this. is the subtitle. Luther writes, here's what this means. Because I don't want to just throw it out there. Maybe you heard it once upon a time is, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And it's kind of confusing. Well, what does that mean, to take it in vain? The Hebrew word for vain, translated into everyday English, means emptiness or void. That you just empty out the holiness and the reverence and the majesty. And the respect that God's name deserves. Luther put it this way. He says, we're to fear and love God so that we do not use his name to curse, swear, practice magic, lie or deceive. But in every time of need, call upon him, pray to him, praise and give him thanks. Luther did not color code that part of his meaning. I put that in. The red means stop and the green means go. Here's what you don't do and here's what you do, Luther Luther said. And this is how you understand the meaning of this commandment. Don't misuse God's name. Don't take it in vain. But we do. When I was in third grade, I developed a habit of saying, oh my, and then I'd insert God's name here. All the kids were doing it. It was big on the playground. It was big at the lunchroom. It was big in the classroom. It's how we were learning to express ourselves. Oh my, insert God's name here. You're like, seriously, this commandment's about that? Yep, it is, and a lot of other things too. To carelessly use God's name as an expression of awe or surprise or my goodness. What if I started doing that with my wife's name? My wife's name is Sally. What if every time I stub my toe, oh my, Sally! Or every time I saw a beautiful Iowa sunset, oh my Sally, look at that. I think at a certain point, Sally would sit Mike down and would say, stop using my name like that. You're cheapening it. It's disrespectful. You're just throwing it around like it doesn't matter. But her name matters to me. God's name should matter to us. We shouldn't use it as an expression, but we do. It's not just in third grade playgrounds and everywhere else and in our culture, but it's in our movies too. Last night I attempted to put together an epic uh, compilation of all the OMGs and every movie I could think of, and, and then we put on an artificial bleep sound on top of the name for God, and it completely was awful, and it's my fault, but I'm going to show you a 20-second version just so you get a taste. Take a look. 
Oh my. <laughs> oh my. Okay, so what we know for sure, other than that was really, I told you it was bad, you know, it poorly made the beep sound. We couldn't get the beep sound right, no matter what we tried. But you get the idea. So what do these people who say this all share in common, other than the fact that they're gonna burn in hell for eternity, what, is it, what do they share? <laughs> kidding, I'm kidding. There's grace for them and for you and for me too, who had to get out of this habit. Habits are easy to get into, but they're hard to break. And I had a hard time breaking it until I got home. <laughs> and I started saying, OMG, every time I saw something. And my mom heard it once, and that was the end of that. Got the bar of soap. And the rest is history. And I don't say it anymore. And every time I think about saying it, I think about a bar of ivory soap whooshing around inside of my mouth. It was effective. OMG, I said. That's terrible. No, I didn't. How do we misuse God's name? Let's dive a little deeper into this in addition to saying OMG and, you know, our Bible reading for today. Psalm 8 says, God, your name is majestic throughout all the earth. Let's not be careless with it. But we can also use God as the beginning of a phrase to, to cuss somebody out. God, and, the, and then we say, you're, you're going to be damned to hell. You realize what you're saying when you say GD, you, or GD, it? You're saying... <laughs> I'm damning the stapler to hell for eternity. It just pinched my finger. It shall no longer have a place on this earth. Worse, when you say that to another human being, do you really want to say that? Do you realize, do we realize what we're saying when we throw these phrases around? The Bible says be careful with this. Next screen. Uh, it says, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. This is what Jesus says about the power of God's name. We pray that in the Lord's Prayer. We, we already did. Our Father who art in heaven. Next line, everybody. So we pray for it. God, your name's too holy for us to mess with. Your name's too holy for us to minimize it as just a casual expression. It's something that we throw around like, oh, my Sally. It, it, we're, we're not going to do it, God. You don't want us to do it. The third thing that the Bible teaches us about this commandment is don't use God's name to swear it's true. This one's going to surprise some of you. Because you're like, I thought that was just my way of saying I believe in God and there's no way I'd lie before God. Hopefully there's no way you'd lie before anybody. And that's the point that scripture makes on this. In the Old Testament it says, don't bring shame on the name of your God by using his name to swear falsely. To say, I swear to God this is true when you know it's a lie. Don't do that, the Old Testament says. But as Jesus is fond of doing, when he gets a hold of that commandment in the New Testament, he doesn't minimize it, he raises the bar. He says, not only should you not use God's name to prove to people you're telling the truth when it's a lie, you shouldn't use God's name. You shouldn't say, I'm swearing to God that it's true, even if it's true. Don't swear at all, Jesus says in his Sermon on the Mount. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. You should have a reputation for telling the truth. Our little 19-month-old granddaughter, Addison, lives in Charlotte with her parents, and she has a dad who has this habit of throwing his socks around the room. 
And he developed this habit early, and we tried to break him of it, and we never could. And we're sorry, Liz, to his wife, we've tried, we couldn't. But his 19-month-old daughter has a good shot at it. Because what she's learning to do is she's developing language skills. Is one of her favorite words is, no, no! No, no! So, you know, biblical. My granddaughter is very biblical. I just want you to know that. When she sees our son's socks lying on the living room floor carelessly, she looks at them. No, no! And she doesn't have any more words for the rest of it, but no, no! Get off the couch and pick up your socks, Dad! It's the paraphrase of what we're pretty sure she's saying when we saw it on FaceTime and laughed for at least, I don't know, a week after that. Let your yes be yes and your no be no, the Bible says. Because you should have a reputation for integrity and honesty that when all you say is yes or no, people say, that's all we need. We don't need you to swear that it's true. We certainly don't need you to swear on a stack of holy Bibles or swear to God that it's true because you always tell the truth. And you say, well, that's not really my reputation. I'm a little loose with the truth sometimes. And everybody knows it. Start today. New you. Person of integrity. Person of honesty. Person who doesn't have to drag God's name into your schemes, into your conniving. See, the thing about God's law is it's given for our benefit. It's given to set us free. There's no freedom in lying. And we'll get to that commandment in a few weeks. Because then we have to back it up with a whole bunch of other lies. Have you figured that out yet? It's exhausting. It would be better to break that habit and develop the habit of integrity. To say, when I say yes, it's always going to be true. It's going to be yes. And when I say no, it's going to be true. And I don't need to drag God's name into it. Finally, the last place that the Bible points us to is, be careful when you use God's name to say things like, well, God laid it on my heart. Or God told me. Or or, or God made me feel like this is kind of the thing that it's supposed to be. And let me just give you a silly example. It doesn't happen a lot around here, but every once in a while we hear about it. It's when a young single male uh, is attracted to a young single female. I suppose it could go either way, but lately I've heard it this way. Not a lot, just a little. But the opening line before they've ever had any conversation with one another is the man comes up to the woman and says, God's laid it on my heart that you're going to be my wife. Oh, puke. Pursue her with some godliness, will you? I mean, enough of dragging God's name into your fantasies and you kind of coming up with this whole thing. Let, let you, have more integrity than that. Don't drag God in to the schemes that the human heart, sinful as our hearts are, want to develop. And that's just an example. That's how we misuse God's name. So to this point, Scripture says this on the next screen. All of these things, all of the Lord's commandments are to be obeyed faithfully and with integrity. What a holy, awe-inspiring name our God has. Do you think of it that way? So that's the red light, here, how we don't use God's name biblically, but here's the green light. Here's how Scripture tells us to use it. Use God's name to call for help, which is a form of prayer. Use it in other forms of prayer, too, to say things like, Uh, Our Father who art in heaven, holy be your name. Come Lord Jesus, be our guest. Maybe that's your table grace prayer you grew up with. Or maybe, you know, nighttime prayers. Jesus, tender shepherd, hear me. Now I lay me down to sleep. Whatever it might be. Rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. God. (laughs) I was like, there's no God's name in that until you throw that in at the end. 
Use God's name for prayer. But don't just go through the motions of these formulated, pre-written prayers. Sometimes people get all worked up about this. We shouldn't have any formulated prayers. They should all be from the heart. Formulated prayer, the Lord's prayer, you mean? We shouldn't do that one? The one Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this? I think, I think we should. I think Jesus says we should. But there's also freedom in Scripture to pray freestyle from the heart. Both are good. You know what really matters? Motivation. Are you just going through the motions of it? The next time you pray the Lord's Prayer, the next time you pray at table grace, the next time you do your bedtime prayers with your kids, or you do them by yourself, which is a great habit, what if your heart's into it? What if your mind and your soul isn't just going through the motions of reciting the words or even praying freestyle, kind of the form that you've picked up. You just kind of go, go, go. go. Nothing wrong with praying similar things over and over and over again. But pause for a moment and let the power of those words sweep over you. Let the reality that you have full access to come before the throne of the creator of the universe and talk to him about anything you want. The way a child comes before a loving father. Only in Romans, the, the, the word that's used for father is Abba, which better translated into everyday English means daddy. You have, you have access to the creator, the all-powerful one, who says, I want to be as close to you as a good and perfect daddy. Now pray your prayers. Whether they're from your heart, size too deep for words, or they're formulated, secondary issues. Primary issue when it comes to your prayer life, where's your heart? Where's your mind? Are you letting the power of these words and these prayers sweep over you as you're praying them? That's how we use God's name faithfully. We also use it faithfully when we come and worship and we sing our praises. We'll sing this song at the end of the sermon. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ, my living hope. These, these are just words. We just go through, oh yeah, I know that song. Hallelujah. Da, de, 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 do, be, do. That one. But hallelujah, do you know what it means? In the Old Testament, the hallelujah means in Hebrew, praise, and the Yah is short for Yahweh, the name, the personal name of God. There are different names in the Old Testament that God gives us. Yahweh is his personal name that he gives to Moses in the burning bush, and, and, and that name is introduced in the creation in, in Genesis. Uh, Elohim is there in the creation story too, which means God, the all-powerful, the creator of the universe. El Shaddai, that El means God. The Ohim is added to it, or El Shaddai means God is, is the one who has this uh, omnipotence, this might. Yahweh, the personal name of God. Adonai, that, that God is our Lord, our master, the one who calls the shots, the one who directs our steps. These are beautiful things. And at the end of Yahweh, you can, you can see that in the Old Testament, it's Yahweh Jireh, God is our provider, or it's Yahweh Rapha, God is our healer, and on and on it goes. All these beautiful names for God, all the same God. So hallelujah when you sing this song. Praise to the name of God, the holy name of God. Because when God's name is holy, we don't lose the holiness and the majesty and the reverence that God deserves. We don't misplace his power in our lives, his ability to transform us. Jesus Christ, you're my living hope. And finally, use God's name faithfully by sharing it, teaching it, using it to evangelize, to, to share the good news of God's love for them. 
You can do this by being Billy Graham, preaching before tens of thousands of people at once. Use God's name as you teach and preach. You can do this over coffee with one other person. Let me tell you the difference God has made in my life. God loves when his name is used like that. Let me tell you my story of me and God and my walk with God. Use God's name to share it, to make disciples, to to evangelize, to teach, to proclaim, to praise, to pray, to call out for help. So that's the what. But let's start to dive into the why with this verse that kind of sums up where we are so far. Not just on this second commandment about how we use God's name. Because I think you're about to be surprised as to how relevant this commandment is. Not just for the things that come out of our mouth, but the application it has on our identity and our freedom or lack thereof. Don't just listen to God's word, his commands, his laws, his boundaries, his rules. You must do what God's word says. If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. So I think in every sermon or in every teaching, it's important to have that point where we move from what to why. I always tell our staff here at Hope that too. I say, I don't want to just tell you what we're going to do. I want to tell you why we're doing it. So I want to tell you why God gives us this command. First and foremost, the wisdom of Proverbs says this. It says, the tongue has the power of life or death. That's the why for the what. Go back one screen, because I want you to see this verse as I try to illustrate it a little bit more. Where we are so far in this Ten Commandments series. Why we need the Ten Commandments. Because I think our world needs it now more than ever, and we're a part of this world. And here's why. Because I think we're puffed up with some misplaced pride. Some of you might feel the opposite of that. You say, I feel completely run down. I feel completely hammered with with, with criticism and and all sorts of things. Yeah, that's part of it. It's because the world around you is playing God, thinking that they get to control and and tell you who you are. And that's a serious problem. It's a serious problem not just for this second commandment with God's name, but it's a serious problem for us in our walk with God and even in just like how life is going. Let me try to explain with a story. When I was in college, senior year in college, I got talked into trying out for the musical. They have one musical a year, like a lot of colleges and high schools do. You have to understand, God did not bless me with a good singing voice. God um, blessed me maybe with some other things, but singing is not one of them. And so I said, I'm not musical. Why would I go out for the musical? I'd never been in a college musical before. I'd never been in nor tried out for any of those things before. I'd never been in a high school musical before or a junior high musical or any musical. My mom was the junior choir director in the church where I grew up, and she never gave me a solo. Does that tell you something? (laughs) My brothers both got solos. But she loved the church too much to let me sing a solo. (laughs) And that was the right choice. So when my friend Mark tells me to go out for the college musical, I'm like, there's no way. He goes, yeah, but look who's trying out. And he named a whole bunch of our friends. I'm like, wow. And he goes, do you know what the musical is? I go, no. He goes, it's Grease. Grease is the word that you heard. Yeah. <laughs> you, you gotta, I was like, and he said, in some of the parts, they're, they're not, you'll just be in the chorus anyway, so you can just kind of blend in with everybody else. Don't worry about it. Well, I tried out, and I got a lead. 
I know, that's what I said, I laughed. My, my, uh, my uh, audition was I sang to dream the impossible dream and cows started booing in the farm down the street. I was just, stop him to dream. It was just awful. But I got the part that was no singing. It was all speaking of Vince Fontaine, the radio disc jockey who shows up at the big dance at Rydell High. And he's just a creep. He's a terrible guy. So I have lines like, only thing I want to say is enjoy yourselves. Have a ball. Because like we always say at the Big 15 where the jocks hang out, if you're having fun, then you're number one. And some lucky guy and gal is going to go bopping home with a stack of terrific prizes. But don't feel bad if I bump these out because it don't matter if you win or lose. It's what you do with those dancing shoes. So, okay, cats, put your mittens around your kittens and away we go. That was my part. I had other lines like that that I will not tell you about. But that's funny how that sticks with you, isn't it? I say all that to set up this part of the story. There was a sophomore, uh, a young woman. Um, I won't tell you her name because, you know, it's a small world in the Lutheran church. But she was trying out, and she was gifted. When she would sing, it would bring you to tears. She was so talented and so good, and she knew it. And she led with an aura of arrogance. Like, you are lucky to share the same stage with me. She auditioned and she got the part of Rizzo. Not Sandra D, the lead, you know, look at me, I'm Sandra D. That's what Rizzo sings because she's mocking Sandra D. Not in the movie version, I don't think, but in the, in the original uh, theater version, Rizzo sings another heartfelt song called It's Raining on Prom Night, where she's standing in her bedroom all by herself, weeping and crying because nobody invited her to prom. And all the kids at Rydell High are having fun. So on one side of the stage, it's dark and you're in her room and her shadows. And she's singing this heartbreaking song while all of us over at Rydell High are having the time of our lives. During rehearsal, as she's starting to sing this song for the first time, she leaves the bedroom. And she's singing and she's just, she's just nailing it, just putting it out there. We're like, wow, this is amazing. And the director says, cut! Dr. James Cermak has been doing musicals at Concordia College for 33 years by now. He says, that's not where I directed you to go. You need to stay in your room. She says, I think it would be better if I just come out here and come to center stage. He says, but then you're leaving your bedroom. And, and, you're not, and he says, forget it. I'm not going to defend this. I'm the director. Get back in your room. I cast you in the role of Rizzo. I can uncast you in the role of Rizzo. She went back into her room. And she knocked him dead with that song. But here's the thing. The director turned it into a teaching moment. He said, brought the whole cast together. He said, let me explain something to you. I'm the director. I don't need to defend that. You can trust that. I do know what I'm doing. I've been directing musicals at this college for more years than any of you have been alive. I need you to follow my direction and not make it up as you go along because I see things you don't see and I know things you don't know and I need you to trust me on this that if Rizzo leaves her bedroom and all of a sudden she's standing in front of the gym in the dance hall at Rydell High, it's going to mess up the whole scene. 
I need you to follow my direction. God, through the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah 55 says, I see things you don't see. I know things you don't know. And I need you to trust me a whole lot more than you are, modern world. I need you to get back to a posture of humility before me, a posture of reverence, a posture where you take my direction and don't just know about it and say, well, we know better. Look how talented we are. Look how advanced we are. Look how enlightened we are. And God comes and he says, yes, great, that's wonderful, but I'm God and you're not. This is why the Ten Commandments are so important for us. This is the why behind the what. You need to not just listen to my word, but follow my direction. It'll go better for you. It'll go better for me. It'll go better for us and our world. If we go back to the one who made us and say, what did you make us for? Instead of trying to invent it all by ourselves and then say, you know, God, this is what we're going to do. And if you don't come and bless it, then what's wrong with you? No wonder we're so upside down, so lost, so dry, so frustrated, so disappointed with life. Because we're directing our own steps. Instead of following the one who gives us the blessing of his Ten Commandments and says, here, This is going to be really good for you. Don't, among other nine other commandments, don't mess with my name. Don't minimize it, because when you do, you minimize me. And then you forget that I'm the director. And you forget that I'm the one who's actually here to tell you what to do so that the play will go better for you. What is it that Shakespeare famously wrote? All the world's a stage and we are merely but players. And when we get that right with God, life starts to make more sense. We start to hit our stride. We start to to hit our cue. It's like, whoa, when did this start happening? As soon as I humbled myself before a holy God. As soon as I not only knew what the Ten Commandments were, but I had the faith to apply them to my daily life. Now this second commandment that we're zooming in on today has everything to do with the words that we speak. And those words matter. The tongue has the power to give life or to bring death. This is the why behind the what. This is why this commandment matters so much. This is why saying OMG is actually a really big deal and a good habit to break. Words matter. Words matter a lot. They can give life and they can kill. I want you to watch this short video of these kids and they're gonna be reminding us just how much the words that have been spoken over them matter. The words that they hear from friends, the words that they hear from a parent or parents, how much they matter. Teachers, coaches, oh, it matters so much. Kids are hearing a whole lot more than we might remember sometimes. But it isn't just for kids. As you watch this clip, I don't want you just to hear their words. I want you to start giving some pondering thought to the heart behind it and the experience behind it. And then I want you to start thinking about the words that are spoken over you and whether you should trust them or not and whether they're believable or not and how you ended up feeling like you do most days, probably in large part because of the words that have been spoken over you. Words matter. What do you hear your mom and dad saying most often? 
Get off the couch. Come over and do the dishwasher. <laughs> oh, go clean your room. Oh, hurry up, hurry up. And you need to do your laundry. I'm not warning you again. Clean your room, do your chores. My dad says no. That's like right. all I hear. Okay. And my which mom about? says like, hurry up. What have you done productive today? Clean up your desk. How did you not find that? I was right there. <laughs> Has anybody ever said anything that hurt your feelings? Um, you're so obnoxious. Really? All the time. I hear that maybe once a day. Those little comments stick with me all the time. This kid said I was a waste of life. Oh, really? It's just no one's a waste of life, in my opinion. That's right. What's the very favorite thing your mom and dad have said to you? That they're proud of me. Yeah. They say you're gonna do great things one day. I love when my uh, mom and dad, like, say I'm awesome and cool, and, like, they love me. I like to hear, like, good job, well mm -hmm. done. Congratulations, stuff like that. Yeah. I think it's I love you. Really? I really like that. My mom always tells me that, like, I'm the most determined. So that's always stuck with me. Like, if I have a project, I just remember, like, I'm the most determined one. <laughs> if I actually want to get this done, I can do it. My dad tells me very frequently, and my mom, my mom tells me this a lot, too. I'm glad you are my son. Mm -hmm. I just love that. Wow, yeah, that's pretty powerful. Words spoken from you over other people, they have power. And the words that have been spoken about you, over you, to define you, they matter. But here's what I want you to know about that. I started the sermon by saying, what did you walk in here with? What burdens are you carrying? What stresses? What kind of a weight? Or what kind of a joy? We live in a world that's really good at knocking people down these days. At dismissing and de demonizing and dividing. Saying, you don't belong. You aren't with us. You aren't here. Let me tell you a story to close. It's a story about a man named Jacob. Even if you're brand new to church, you've probably heard about Jacob. He's kind of a big deal in the Old Testament. He's um, the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. It's his 12 sons that make up the people of God. <laughs> That's a pretty lofty job description. And the book of Romans in the New Testament says, we through Christ who aren't descendants of Abraham and Sarah, who aren't Jewish, are grafted onto that tree of life that are the descendants of Jacob, the, the nation of Israel, the people of God. But the story of Jacob might surprise you if you knew, the, as Paul Harvey would famously say back in the day, the rest of the story. Jacob's name, and names are not throwaways in the Old Testament, they're indicators. Jacob name, Jacob's name at best means on the heels of the one ahead of you. Jacob and Esau were born as twins. Esau was born first, so Jacob's on his heels. But in its more literal, kind of not so uplifting definition, Jacob's name means cheat, con artist usurper, uh, somebody who's trying to take what doesn't belong to him. And he certainly lives up to that name early on. When they grow up, uh, Esau's name, by the way, just so you see how much these names mean, Esau, when he was born, he was born uh, red-headed and hairy and burly, and Esau literally means in Hebrew, red-headed, hairy guy. I'm not making this up. 
So Esau and Jacob are, are born into the family of Isaac and Rebekah. And Isaac, in Jewish tradition, since Esau is born first, he has the birthright. He's King Charles. He's the heir to the throne. He's the one who's going to get all the benefits and all the value. And it's huge value. Earthly value. Jacob's jealous of it. And so he cries out. And he longs for it and he plots with his mother Rebekah against Esau and Esau and their father and their father Isaac. Talk about a dysfunctional family. You don't need to watch cable TV just to find a dysfunctional family. Just open up the book of Genesis. I mean, real housewives of Atlanta have nothing on this story. Here comes Jacob and Esau. Here's, here's this like a tip. Like parenting 101. Tip number two. Don't favor one of your kids more than another. But that's exactly what Isaac and Rebekah did. Isaac loved his son Esau. Uh, Rebekah loved her son Jacob. And they didn't think a whole lot of the other. So the plot thickens and Jacob steals the birthright and the blessing by conning his brother Esau into it. Esau's fuming mad. Jacob's worried he's going to kill him because, you know, Esau's the man. And he runs away. But in typical Jacob fashion, he hooks up with his uncle Laban, who's also a con artist and a conniver and, and manipulative, and they try to out-manipulate each other for a while. This is years down the road. Jacob and Esau, the twin brothers, have started to live there, have been living separate lives for a long time now. But then Jacob hears that his brother Esau is near, and he's coming with an army, a massive army. Holy smokes, Jacob thinks. I'm a dead man. I've been running away from my brother who I cheated out of his blessing and birthright. I guess I can see it. And now he's coming with a massive army. So Jacob does what Jacob does. He sends, <laughs> he sends a bribe. Hey, here, here's a, a, a chunk of my fortune which is really supposed to be yours, but you want to take some of this and maybe you'll, we'll have peace? He doesn't hear anything about that, and so he pulls just the worst Jacob move maybe of all time. He sends his wife and his kids across the river to meet Esau. Well, if you kill them, I can, I can run for the hills. What a horrible human being. This is Jacob, your hero of the Old Testament, the father of God's people, the 12 tribes of Israel. That very night, when Esau and his army are on the other side of the river and Jacob is plotting and conniving and trying to supplant and usurp and being, being the cheat that he is, God sends an angel. Come on, Jacob. We're going to wrestle. You and me, physical combat. And here's the thing about angels in the Bible. We, we typically minimize them and put them like little statue cherubs out in our garden. Yeah, they're so cute. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Cute angels are fine. Biblical angels are warriors. Do you ever notice that almost every time an angel shows up in a story in the Bible, the first thing the angel has to say is, don't be afraid. I know I'm kind of intimidating. I know I'm massively intimidating. But this angel doesn't say, don't be afraid. This angel says, let's rumble. And Jacob takes that as God has had it with me. And God would have every right to have it with Jacob, considering his track record and what he's done and how many people he's cheated. 
So here comes God sending his warrior to beat the snots out of Jacob, right? And as they're wrestling, the angel asks this simple question. What's your name? It's not like the angel of God doesn't know. But God wants Jacob to start thinking about this. Who am I? What's my name? What labels do I carry? How do I define myself? How does the world define me? What's my name? Who am I? What's your name? Who are you? Who am I? Who gets to say? What labels do we carry? How do we define ourselves? What's the truth? What's your name? Because this is the stuff that a lot of people walk around with. And maybe you walked into church with this today, wherever you are. I'm a scoundrel, I'm a cheat, I'm a manipulator, I'm a fake, I'm a phony, I'm a poser. I'm a floozy, I'm a tramp, I'm awkward, I'm weak, I'm timid, I'm scared because people tell me. I'm a coward, I'm a bully, I'm cheap, I'm a spendthrift, I'm greedy, I'm slow-witted, I'm dorky, I'm a misfit, I'm uncool, I'm moody, emotional, depressed, anxious, arrogant, obnoxious, angry, loud, narcissistic, controlling. Ugly, plain, unfit, overweight, obese, skinny, short, tall, power-hungry, prejudiced, racist, misogynist. You're canceled by the world, not by God. That's worth noting. Burned out, discouraged, broken, hurt, abused, victim, divorced. Is that the label you walk into church with? God doesn't love me as much as he loves the person who's been happily married for 45 years. Oh, but he does. You're just carrying the wrong label of shame. You're forgetting just how exhaustive God's mercy is and how much bigger it is than our sin. You say, well, yeah, but the divorce was my fault. I didn't say you weren't a sinner. I didn't say I'm not a sinner. The truth is, the law reminds us we're all sinners. But here's a deeper truth, that when we get God's name right, it's connected to the right idea of who God is. Somebody who is so great, so powerful, so big, so overwhelming, that he covers all of our sins. Even if this is all true about you, me, or Jacob. What's your name, Jacob? What's your name? Who do you say you are? Widowed, friendless, lonely, sick, disabled, unworthy, irresponsible, unfaithful, alcoholic, an addict, teased, mocked, outcast, left out, disappointed, disappointing, unloved, unloving. The list could go on and on. It's shame-based. The world will tell you, and sometimes the word spoken over you will tell you, this is the final word on me. This is who I am. This is who I will always be. I can't change. You know what? Start letting God's name be holy again. Start letting it remind you how big God is. And you will start to see, God could change anything. After the angel wrestled Jacob and dislocated his hip, Jacob was like, okay, this is it. He's probably, this is it. I'm going to get zapped. I'm dead. The angel said, God's giving you a new name. This is where it happened. From now on, your name is no longer Jacob. Now your name is Israel, which literally in the Hebrew means the one who wrestles with God and with man and perseveres. 
That's who you are, Jacob. People can still call you Jacob. You can call yourself Jacob, but God says you're Israel. God says transformation has come. Through the powerful living word of God, God gives that to you today and to me. What did you come in here with? Who do you think you are? I'm not giving you preacher's opinion and some sort of silly pep talk. I'm giving you the truth of the God who made you and loves you so much he sent his son to die for you. This is your name. You're a child of God. You have been Christ-named. You have been christened in the waters of baptism. You ever hear people talk about baptism with its alternate name, which is christening, which is a great alternate name for baptism. It's baptism. It's a holy baptism. But christening is a, is a, is a righteous name for it, too. It's because there's this really important part of the baptismal service to say, by what name will this child be baptized? Or by what name are you to be baptized today? And he said, well, Michael John. My name, Michael, means who is like the Lord. I would like to think that it means the one who is like the Lord, which is what some people say Michael means. Unfortunately, that's not what Michael means. Michael just is a question. (laughs) Who's like the the Lord? Answer, not me. (laughs) But my middle name is John, J-O-N, blessed by God. (laughs) So who is like the Lord? Not me, but here comes the blessings of God. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. We are God's children. We are God's children. Everybody say that wherever you are. Say, we are God's children. children. Y'all shout it out. Say who you are. What's your name? You've been christened. You've been named by the Holy One of God, who's so holy and is so powerful and is so giving and his grace is so amazing. He says, I don't even want you to mess with my name so that you forget about who I am. And how powerful and all usurping my grace is. We are God's children. We have been Christened. And since we are his children, we are heirs. Jacob, you've made a mess of your life. Maybe that's you. That's all of us in some way. And God says, the way you came in here today is not the way I'm sending you out. You are made new. This is your name now. This is who you are. You're a child of God, an heir of salvation, a citizen of heaven, a friend of Jesus. You're the church. People say, well, I'm into Jesus, not the church. The more you get into Jesus, the more you'll hear him say, you're the church. You are the church, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the holy temple, the family of God, the salt of the earth, the light of the world. You aren't brought into God's family just so that you can observe Christianity. You're called into the game. You're commissioned. You're chosen. You are beloved by God. You've been redeemed at a great cost by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. You're saved by God's amazing grace. When's the last time grace was amazing for you? Today would be a good day. You are forgiven. You're washed clean of all your sin, and so you're transformed like Jacob was. Your name is changed right now. You're a child of God. Keep your name. I'm still going to be Michael John. That's it. That's right. With all of its ups and downs and complications and good days and bad days. But I am even more than that. I'm a child of God. I'm a Christian. I'm renewed and revived and reborn. And to be a Christian means I belong to Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. And so do you. What's your name? What did you come in here with? But more importantly, what are you walking out with? You have been reborn by the blood of the Lamb. 
God's grace is amazing for you. So stand up if you're able. Stand up and give God praise. Give him praise for this gift of his love and his amazing grace. It's for you. Let's sing our song.